That song is from a Broadway musical, Dear Evan Hansen. And it's all about relationship conundrums and what happens at the intersections where you can't figure out what the answers are. You don't even know what the questions are. And most Broadway shows are kind of like that, relationship conundrums and what are we going to do and how do we, how do we get here and where are we going to go from here, whether it's uh, the, the uh, Wicked or whether it's Phantom of the Opera, whatever it might be. It's the story of life and life is always lived out at the edges. It's the story of your lives and how you are in relationship conundrums and, and you're at the intersections and, and you don't have the answers. You might not even know the questions. And so we come to Relational Glue. Relational Glue is my relationship series for 2019. And it's going to take us into all the different aspects of what it takes to have a life that really works. This is what I know about relationships. I believe you can have better relationships. I believe we all have blind spots in our relationships. I have them and you have them. I believe relationships that are stuck can get unstuck. I believe some relationships are broken but can still find redemption. I believe you have to learn more about how you set yourself up for difficulties in relationships with friends and families and at work. You set yourself up. I believe we are all responsible for our own relational and spiritual maturity. I believe we desperately need God in all of our relationships. Our relationship with God must be the preeminent relationship of our lives. And so here's the question. What's holding your life together? Family, friendship, marriage, work, life, you're in deep. This series will meet you right where you are, right where you are all the time. Relationships are the cutting edge of your life. You have questions. You need wisdom and grace answers. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Here are the glue rules. I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm here hopefully to make your life better. Relational glue calls you to a courageous commitment to reality. Reality is not what you necessarily think it is or you want it to be like this. It's what it is. Relational glue takes looking intently into the mirror of God's truth. Relational glue establishes boundaries to create safe relationships, yet stretches toward lofty spiritual goals. Relational glue helps you accept things you cannot change, change things you can, all the while gaining the wisdom to know the difference. And you know where that famous quote comes from. Relational glue is measured in love, contribution, and moments of grace. Love means you gave everything you could without counting the cost or having expectations. Contribution means you, you just strove with all your heart to bring your best to every relational endeavor. Moments of grace means when you failed and darkness fell, a friend stood with you until the light dawned again. In the ancient world, one of the things people liked to do, this was especially true with kings and, and those in power, they liked to collect sayings of wisdom because it's hard to get through life without wisdom. You can never have enough wisdom. So these sayings 
that were wise sayings were collected and, and people would read them and think about them. And so a long time ago, somewhere between 970 and 930 BC, the king of Israel, Solomon, collected and put together many proverbs. It's in the second book of wisdom in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. And I love the book of Proverbs, this, this collection of Solomon, because every time I look at it, something like just hits me right in the face. Every time I go to it, something happens inside of me that needs to happen. Something moves, something shifts. My mind is, is drawn towards something bigger than myself. My mind is, is drawn into the, the everyday parameters of, of community, the relational glue that I need to be engaged with. And so what I love about Proverbs is you can just drop in just about everywhere. Don't tell, don't tell anybody else I said this, okay? But you can just drop in anywhere. You don't have to start in chapter one and read consecutively in a linear fashion all the way through. You can drop in at chapter three. You can drop in at chapter 17, chapter 16. There's a great proverb, I think it's 16.3. You can drop in at chapter 24, which is where we're gonna drop in today. You can just drop in and be expectant of God giving you something quick, giving you something that can be an injection of maturity into your life immediately. So journey with me this morning as we talk about life is mostly edges out of Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24 is part of a section that begins in chapter 22 where it's called 30 sayings of the wise. We are picking it up with saying 20. Do not envy the wicked. Do not desire their company. For their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. The wise prevail through great power and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Wisdom is too high for fools. In the assembly at the gate, they must not open their mouths. Whoever plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of folly are sin, and people detest a mocker. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. That entire saying, saying 27 verses 15 and 16, is the complete basis for the movie Home Alone. Look at it. Read it. 
Check it out. It's, it really is. It really is. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when they stumble. Do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked, for the evildoer has no future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Fear the Lord and the king, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials, for those too will send sudden destruction on them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. These also are the sayings of the wise, sort of like a PS now, these also are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty and rich blessing will come on them. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Life is mostly edges, and today I'd like to talk to you about four edges of your life. There are more than four edges of your life, but I want to just talk to you about four. Calvin Miller wrote this book that tells the entire story of his life. I love the writings of Calvin Miller. He's a creative, out-of-the-box thinker, uh, a 21st century Christian who grew up in a small town in Oklahoma and and you know, didn't have much growing up, and God got a hold of him and called him into the ministry, and he would see things in a different way. He would, he would write things with, with a creative verse to it. Uh, he wrote the book, The Singer. It's a very, very well-known book, The Song. And so I like to read him because he, he engages me, and he, he writes about the edges of his life through this story that tells the entirety of his life. Let me tell you about your first edge. Each edge is going to have a, a question that fleshes it out. Your first edge is in sayings 20 and 21. Do not envy the wicked. Do not desire their company. For their heart plots violence and their lips talk about making trouble. By wisdom a house is built. And through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. This is the edge of your soul. And the question comes forth, how rich is your soul? How rich is your soul? You see, each of us has a soul. And we don't really know what that looks like or, uh, or don't know really much about it. But we know we have a soul. God gave us a soul. And the way I like to picture it is, uh, is a beautiful, round, white, gleaming object. I know that I'm, I'm just sort of being artistic right now and poetic in a certain way, but I just like to see it as, as beautiful and radiant. But what happens to our soul is over the years, uh, we become maybe a little jaded, maybe a little um, swayed by the the ways of the world, and so we, we develop ego agendas, and the ego agendas sort of invade our soul, and our soul becomes partly this radiant object that reaches for God and wants to connect with God, and partly this sort of shadowy, darkened object that, that reaches out for things that will gratify self, things that will, will help us to feel better about who we are. 
the truth is you cannot live with a divided soul. A divided soul is, is going to just speak to the issues of brokenness. A divided soul is going to speak to the issues of, of destructive relationships. A divided soul cannot bring you the relational glue that you need to have a life. And so life is mostly edges, and the edge of your soul asks this question, how rich is your soul? So how do you answer that question? Uh, I answer it by going to a book called Never Go Back, 10 Things You'll Never Do Again. And just in the, in the beginning of the book, in the introduction, where it lists all the chapters, Henry Cloud gives us a plethora of wisdom that can guide us through to know our soul. He talks about the never agains. Never again return to what hasn't worked. Never again do anything that requires you to be someone you're not. Never again try to change another person. Never again believe that you can please everyone. Never again choose short-term comfort over long-term benefit. Never again trust someone or something flawless. In other words, if something looks too good, it probably isn't what it is, whether that's a person or whether that's an object. Never again take your eyes off the big picture. Never again neglect to do due diligence. Never again fail to ask why you are where you are. And never again forget that your inner life determines your outer success. As this is where the how rich is your soul comes in. It's it's your inner life that's determining your outward success. It's your inner life. It's your walk with God. It's your embracing of all the things that God wants to show you and teach you, how he wants to guide you through, how he wants to give you all the parameters of relational glue all the time in your life. And so you live at the edge of your soul. Don't let your soul get divided. Don't let it get diverted. Don't let it get dark. Don't let it be darkened by personal ego agendas that draw you slowly and imperceptibly toward what will destroy you. Allow yourself the wonder and the glory and the miracle and the mystery of everything that God wants to have for you. And always ask yourself this question at the edge of your soul. How rich is my soul today? How rich is my soul today? Count the never-go-backs, and value the richness of your soul. Your second edge comes in saying 22. The wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. This is what I call the edge of muster. But before I go there, let me just digress for a second. The word mustard is a funny word. It always reminds me of mustard. When I was growing up, I only had one kind of mustard that we were allowed to eat in our house, Gouldens. That was it. You couldn't eat anything else. It was just Gouldens. I only knew that Gouldens was the mustard in the whole world. That was it, just Gouldens. Then one day, the Grey Poupon Company decided to do a lot of advertising on TV. 
And so I kept watching the advertisements for Grape Upon. Remember they had the, the carriages or the cars that drove up? Maybe they were Rolls Royces. And somebody said, do you have any Grape Upon? They handed it out. Well, I got sucked in by that. And I decided, I have to have Grape Upon. But the problem was, I grew up Roman Catholic, and I thought that would be a sin. It would be what was called a venial sin. As you know from being Catholic, those of you who were, there's mortal sins. Whoa, you don't want to go there. But there's venial sins. You can do as many venial sins as you want any day. Not that you're trying to do them, but you just do them. A venial sin. I thought, this is a venial sin, and I'm going to try Grey Poupon. So under the cover of darkness, I went to the A&P. I bought the Grey Poupon. I brought it home. I didn't let my mother see. I tried it. I didn't like it. <laughs> I went back to Goulden's. If you look in my refrigerator today, you'll see Goulden's mustard, the only mustard allowed in the Simone home. But really, we're talking about the word mustard. So now we have come back from being out in left field with the digression. Uh, the wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. I love that word, muster. It's pulling it all together, getting it all together, grappling with it, pulling it together, muster their strength. If you have knowledge, you muster your strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is one. Victory is won through many advisors. This is the edge of muster. Who advises you? Who advises you? We're in the, the NFL playoffs. You see all the advisors on the sidelines, all the coaches, all the defensive coaches and the offensive coordinators, and, and they all got, they got clipboards and they got headsets, and, and, and everybody's trying to get to one place, right? The Super Bowl. They, they are counting that with many advisors, they are going to get there. Who advises you? Who comes into your life and says, you know, I was thinking about what you told me, and I think you should, you should wait. Or who comes into your life and says, I don't think you have the whole picture. I think you're missing a few big pieces. And if you go ahead with these few big pieces missing, I don't think it's going to work. Who advises you? Because the truth is you can't get through life without good advisors, good counselors. The Bible says it, and victory is won through many advisors. I watched a, a great film the other day. It was, it's called Life Itself, and uh, it tells the span of, of these people over, over decades, and uh, it just grabbed me and just pulled me in. It's about a two-hour show. Uh, and at the very end, there's this poignant scene between a mother and her son, and she's, she's dying, and she doesn't have long to live, and her son, who's 20 years old, comes to her bedside, and she looks him in the eyes, and tears are streaming down her cheeks, and she says this to her son, you have had many ups and downs in your life, too many, and you will have more. This is life and this is what it does. Life brings you to your knees. It brings you lower than you think you can go. But if you stand back up and move forward, if you go just a little farther, you will always find love. And she's pouring out her love toward him, imparting her, her very heart to his heart so he always knows her love. And she says, Will you do that? Will you do that? And then all of a sudden, as she's looking at her 20-year-old son, he becomes eight again. 
with his little chubby cheeks, and she's reaching out to touch, to touch his face. And then, in an artistic shift, an author's voice comes in, and this is the, the person who actually wrote the story, because the story comes from a book, and so the author comes in, and you see the author speaking at a, at a, at a bookstore, about ready to sign her books for people. And she says this, I'm not sure of anything. All I know is that at any moment, life will surprise me. It will bring me to my knees. And we've all been there. Life has surprised us. It has brought us to our knees. And when it does, she says, I will remind myself, while it may be easy to wallow in the tragedies that shape our lives, and while it's natural to focus on those unspeakable moments that bring us to our knees, we must remind ourselves that if we get up, if we take the story a little bit farther, if we go far enough, there is love. Who advises you? Certainly I hope that you are advised by God's word, by the Lord himself imparting wisdom to you through your reading of his word and thinking about his word through reading in the book of Proverbs. But who advises you? Who, who brings you the story of being on their knees when you are on your knees? On your knees. When you're on your knees, you need advisors. And the best advice is always tough love. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Your third edge comes out of saying 25. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, we didn't know, we didn't know does not he, in other words, God, does not God who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he, God, does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? It's an indictment. You can't say, but we knew nothing about this. This is what I call the edge of heroic action and justice. And the question is, who are you rescuing? Who are you rescuing? Whose life are you rescuing? Because a lot of life's edges have to do with rescue. Seth Godin writes a blog, and he was a speaker at the Global Leadership Summit a number of years ago, and he's a sort of a, a cultural observer and a uh, you know innovator with words and ideas and. And so I subscribed to his blog the other day, and this one popped up. The Spider-Man Paradox. On one hand, Uncle Ben's rule makes great sense. With great power comes great responsibility. The essence of the rule is that once you have great power, you need to take the responsibility that goes with it. And yet, it's backfiring. It's backfiring because so many walk away from their great power. They walk away because they don't want the responsibility. 
rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. The power to lead but follow meekly. The power to innovate but ask for rules of thumb instead. The power to lend a hand but walk away. Who are you rescuing? I told this story a number of years ago and some of you have heard it. Many of you haven't, so I'm going to tell it to you today. I was in Copenhagen with the Global Leadership Summit a number of years back, probably now going back six, seven, maybe even eight years. And uh, a young pastor from West Africa said, can we have lunch? That's one of the, the most loving questions anybody could ever ask me. Can we have lunch? And I always say, yes. So, so we arranged to have lunch down at the, the waterfront in Copenhagen. We sat at a table outside of this little Italian restaurant. I'm sitting there, and I don't really know him, and, and I'm trying to figure out what would be a good question to ask him. What would be a great question? And so I get, ah, oh, I have a great question. This is a very American question. This is a very Western question. Uh, this is a very sort of sports-oriented kind of question. And I said to him, what is your dream? What is your dream? Never expecting what he would say next. And he looked at me and he said, my dream is to save my village. And first I didn't know what that even meant. And they had staggering water problems and, and illness because of not having water, not having clean water. None of this I really knew or understood. My, my dream is to save my village. And then, without missing a step, he said four words that changed the rest of my life. A question, will you help me? I, I thought I was having lunch. <laughs> what I was having was a moment that God gave me to change my life. Um, I didn't know what to say. Will you help me? And so I said, I'll try. So I came back home, and I, I called a good friend in Chicago, and I said, what do you know about digging wells in Africa? And he said, well, I know somebody who does that down in Oklahoma City. And he goes, give me a number. I, I called the number. I talked to a guy, and he, and he said, yeah, we're doing this training program down here in Oklahoma City. Why, why don't you come down for the training program? It costs $25, and that includes lunch. He said the magic word. I said, I'm there. I got two, two men, two community leaders, two professional builders, contractors from Virginia Beach to go with me. We went to Oklahoma City. We learned how to drill a well by hand. Next thing you know, with some of you, you know, I'm in West Africa. I'm, I'm not sure like what we're doing and why we're there. But we are rescuing people who desperately need to be rescued. And if I didn't ask the question, what is your dream, maybe none of this would have happened. This is why in, in a couple weeks I'll be back in West Africa because when you start to rescue, you don't stop rescuing. When you start to rescue, you keep rescuing. You expand the rescue mission. You find new ways to bring the rescue operation 
to more people. And so we're going to go back, and, and we've got a big water tower. We, we did that big water project a few years ago, and they put a cap on it. And so now we're extending the, the reach of the water to many more villages. We're going to look at medical interventions. We're going to look at educational development. We're going to look at continuing the water projects. Because once you start rescuing, you don't stop rescuing. Who are you rescuing? This is the edge of heroic action and justice. This is something that we can all do together. Your fourth edge is saying 28. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. I'm so glad that they fell. I'm so glad that they went down. I'm going to laugh all the way home tonight because they fell. Do not let your heart rejoice. I am elated that they got what they deserved. They are eating at the banquet of consequences. Great. Don't do that. God doesn't like that. Because God loves them too. And God's still trying to figure out how you can reach them, how you can love them, how redemption can come into their lives. This is what I call the edge of emotional intelligence. A man named Daniel Goleman wrote a whole book about it about 10 or 20 years ago. And the question is, do you know what's going on inside your heart? Do you really know what's going on inside your heart? Or do you just like think what you want to think and feel what you want to feel and, and never understand that it's always taking you somewhere? It's taking you into things that, that bring relational glue into community or it's taking you to places where you are tearing down community. What is going on inside your heart? And so in his book, Life is Mostly Edges, Calvin Miller writes this. I have grown honest about the best years of my life. I have lived those years, all of them, past three score and ten, knowing all along that this life was never mine. It has belonged all the way through to another. Given the size of the universe, the world I have lived in is quite small. And I have lived, lived it out mostly along its edges. This is not surprising, for life is mostly edges. The great lessons, the deep tragedies, the storms of unbearable heartquakes always happen along the edges. I am an edge dweller, and God is with me. The edge is a good address. It is a good place to remember our temporariness. It teaches us to spend our time wisely. Do you know what's going on inside your heart? You know how everything you think either builds something up or tears something down? And Solomon reminds us, he reminds us very poignantly by saying this, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Imagine writing that down. What was he thinking? An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. I want to give you a three-minute kiss right now from a woman named Carly Fiorina. My ordeal with cancer paled 
in comparison to our younger daughter's battles with her own demons. A couple of weeks after I had finished my radiation treatments, Lori died alone in her apartment. The grief and guilt my husband and I felt were almost suffocating. At her funeral, people told me she was in a better place. For the first time in my life, I knew what they meant, and I accepted it as real. I was certain that she had not been alone, truly alone, in her final moments, and that we were not alone in our sorrow. And I was comforted. Soon afterwards, my husband Frank told me that he had lost his faith. He could not believe that Jesus loved him and that God could let such a terrible thing happen. I prayed that Frank would be given a sign and his faith restored. A few days before Father's Day, he returned to the house with a look of relief on his face. He had been in the garage changing the oil in his car. Frank loves to change oil. A pile of boxes, which had been stored for years in the corner of that garage, caught his eye. For no particular reason, he decided to open one of them. Lying on top were four Father's Day cards from Lori. In one of those cards was a long letter she had written to him many years ago, telling him what a fine father he was and how much she loved him. He read, I love you, in her childish handwriting. And in that moment, he knew that Jesus loved him and that Lori had found peace. And I knew that God hears our prayers and he answers those he should. It is in the nature of life to ebb and flow. I realize that life is not measured in time. Life is measured in love and contribution and moments of grace. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Life is not measured in time. Life is measured in love and contribution and moments of grace. Love means you gave everything you could. Contribution means you brought your best self every day. Grace means when you failed and darkness fell, a friend stood with you until the light dawned again. How rich is your soul? Who advises you? Who are you rescuing? Do you know what's going on inside your heart? These are the edges of your life. And so last night, when I thought there would not be a letter, a letter showed up fast and swift, uh, so fast and swift, I had a hard time keeping up with it. And here it is, and it's for you. 
Dear friends, yes, life is mostly edges, and you are living on an edge now. You know it. I know it. Some days the edge mocks you. Some days you pitch a tent there and pretend you're living. So what do we do next? Every edge is a possibility crying out for choices. I will help you make the right choice, but I also want you to lean into the relationships that will surround you with grace. And as you make that choice, seek wisdom, seek counsel. And if you fly off the edge, tumble and fall headlong, those relationships of grace will stand with you until a new light dawns. And I will stand with you. Your inner life with me is the key to defining your reality. Your inner life with me is prerequisite for a strength of wisdom to carry you through your edge-dancing life. You will be sad. You will shed tears. You will find quiet joy in moments. In the end, you will learn how an honest answer is a shining light, a kiss of truth. It's like the whisper of sweet honey on dry lips. My embrace will reshape broken dreams. My heart never ceases to pound with an awesome thunder of mercy and grace. Remember, I live at the edge of a kingdom with no end. A time-boundaried world ends at my gates. Long ago, my son paid the staggering price of your redemption so you can one day leap from ragged edges into glories of eternal mystery. Until that day comes, let him walk the sometimes smooth, sometimes jagged edges of your relationship realities with you. He knows the way. He is your way home. God. Dear Heavenly Father, as we struggle through the ups and downs and in-betweens and all the conundrums of our relationships, show us what relational glue looks like in the face of Jesus. Show us what relational glue looks like in each other's faces as we sit together and pray together and hold on to each other. Father, show us what relational glue looks like as the church becomes a light in the world, a place that goes out and goes out of its way to rescue those who are lost and struggling, who are hurting and marginalized. Oh, Heavenly Father, teach us these truths from Proverbs over and over again. Let us always know that an honest answer like a kiss on the lips. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.